Hello and thank you for tuning in for another episode. Before I kick off the show, I just want to apologize for my voice. Um, I'm not sure if you can hear it, but I did mention I got sick last week and everything's cleared up. I'm all good, but my voice feels a bit scratchy and hoarse. Um, That's because I got a bit of post-nasal drip, so sorry if that does affect sound quality today, but I'll do my best. Today I'm going to be discussing three questions based on some feedback that I've been getting. The first one is, are supplements safe? The second one is, should I be adjusting my training if I'm going into a caloric deficit? And the final one is, are all pieces of chicken equal when it comes to dieting? If any of these questions seems interesting to you, that's great. Stick around and listen in for the details. Um, Today I'm going to be relying on some science-backed stuff. And then also I have to add in some of my own opinion and the things that I've experienced as well. Hopefully that gives you a little bit more of a personal insight to how I go about making some of the decisions and maybe that can help inform you making decisions for yourself. So welcome to Fitness for Fatherhood, a podcast helping first-time fathers find the time to regain their health and fitness to become the superhero dads their kids look up to. I'm Stacey Liddell, your host, a qualified personal trainer, two-time amateur physique competitor, and a freshly minted dad. I firmly believe that a healthy body is the cornerstone to a fulfilling life. Get ready to gain actionable tools and strategies from real life examples to take control of your health and fitness to become the superhero dad your kids can look up to. Okay, so the first topic or first question today is are supplements safe? And right off the bat here, I just want to mention that the regulations around supplements aren't as strict as a lot of other food and drug products out there. So there is a lot of gray area here. And I'm going to do my best to try and explain some of the concerns that I have with supplements. And then also on the plus side, how we can go about making safer, healthier choices. So some of you may or may not be familiar that on the market a few years ago, there were products such as Craze and another one called Detonate. And these two products were well known for how much extreme energy people were getting from from taking these pre-workouts. And I have a confession to make. You know, I didn't try these products necessarily, but when I was in my 20s, I was a massive stim pre-workout junkie. I would try and get my hands on anything and everything just that I could feel as buzzed up as possible when going to the gym. Um, This was before there were these new modern synthetic stimulants on the market, such as the famous or infamous DMAA. I moved away from heavily stim-based pre-workouts before those became very, very popular. And before I lose my train of thought, let me go back to craze and detonate so these products actually have or had what was a meth analog a methamphetamine analog in them and obviously once this was found out and the testing came through the safety of these products were brought into question and so this is just one example of the gray area nature of supplements another example of this would be Um, products like Patriot, LD50, 
and MyoTKO. And if you want a deeper dive into these products, um, after you listen to the podcast, maybe if you're interested, there's a an episode that Derek did. He runs the YouTube channel, More Plates, More Dates. And Derek's a great source of information when it comes to supplements and uh, performance-enhancing substances and those kinds of things. And he goes into great length about breaking down why these products aren't necessarily great and safe for your health. They contain what are called SOMs. And I'm going to do my best to quickly let you know what SOMs are. These are selective androgen receptor modulators. And they're a class of therapeutic compounds that have a similar anabolic property, or properties, should I say, to anabolic steroids. But the saying goes that they have less side effects, so people seem to tolerate them a little bit better. I know that in the clinical setting, they have successfully been used for the muscle wasting that is often linked to certain diseases. Think about things like osteoporosis, uh, certain cancer causes muscle wasting, other things like heart failure or end-stage liver disease, those kinds of, of things. Even something like HIV have been used to help stop people from losing a lot of their muscle. And these synthetic chemicals, they essentially will mimic the effect of the androgens in our body. So those are our natural male sex hormones. And these are obviously the hormones that increase our strength and we need fewer time or less time to rest and recover to train again. And the reason why these have become so popular, as I said, is their effects are very similar to those of anabolic steroids. And of course, if you tell somebody that the effects are similar to steroids, but the side effects are less, a lot of younger people, especially younger men, have found these to be, you know, the, the silver bullet in, the, in their training. Um, the issue here is that I think because they're relatively new, there's a potential for them to be misused. And especially for those of you who are maybe competing in sports or events where these substances wouldn't be legal, you've got to be careful that you don't get get something in your system that is going to show up on a test if that ever happens. My major concern, as I have already mentioned, is the health risks that these substances may pose. And today's episode isn't specifically about SARMs, so I will put a bookmark here and I'll definitely revisit this topic if it gets enough interest from the community. Okay, so now that I've mentioned a couple of examples of supplements that may have health risks or may have things in the product that aren't always on the label, that's another problem about supplements. Um, that was the case with the meth analog products like Detonate and Craze. So how can we mitigate the chance of taking these substances and putting something into our body that we either aren't aware of or don't want to have. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Many people would say, well, why are you taking supplements in the first place? Just avoid supplements at all, at all costs. And while this is something that a lot of people can do, there are a huge number of people who don't want to cut out supplements completely from their diet and understand that. I take supplements. Um, I don't take uh, pre-workouts or anything like that, but 
you know, I take creatine and I take a a green blend and things like that and vitamins. So to expect everyone to cut supplements out, I don't think is realistic. So what can those of you who want to continue using supplements do to protect your safety? And here, and I'm sure you've noticed this already, there are a lot of independent third-party testers who will test the safety of products. And if you check your supplement products, some of them will have multiple stickers of certification on them. And if you've never asked yourself why that's the case, I can maybe give you a quick breakdown of how the whole testing and independent testing works. The first level of testing is is called the GMP. I'm sure you've seen the GMP stickers. GMP stands for Good Manufacturing Practices. And as the name suggests, this level of testing isn't really to do so much with what is in the product, but the processes that go into making your product. So what does the factory look like where the supplement is made? And is it clean? Is it dirty? Is it up to certain standards of hygiene and all those things? So essentially where your product is being made and where it's coming from, that whole process is safe. And that's the first level. That doesn't really guarantee that what you're putting into your body is safe, but rather that the conditions in which it was made were safe. The second level is more about what is in your product. And there are third-party testers at this level who will basically assess if the product is clean in sort of gym speak. And this came about, I believe, because there were a whole bunch of supplements tested and they were found to contain heavy metals, you know, things like arsenic, which is not great for you, and BPA, which is the, the plastic that causes significant health concerns. And there were also things like pesticides in certain products. There were a whole list of other things that potentially could cause cancer and the list goes on. Um, but basically what I'm, I'm getting across here is that a lot of supplement products contain things that were dangerous to our health. So at that second level, you can find companies such as the Clean Label Project. They will check the, the safety of the ingredients. And you can just hop onto Google, either look at the Clean Label Project or one of the many other companies that check in to the safety of these products. And then the final tier, the highest tier, are companies that actually need to assess whether these products are safe for professional athletes to use, safe in terms of whether or not they're going to be caught or flagged for doping if using the product. And we've seen examples of this in multiple sports now where uh, athletes have been pinged for being uh, unclean, for not using products that are deemed to be acceptable in sports. They have illegal supplements in them. And the sports people have turned around and said, well, I was using X supplement and the label says it's clean. And so these companies come about to make sure that athletes can pass water testing even when they use these products. So I guess the takeaway here is to ensure that you're using a safe product, you need to assess what is going to be satisfactory for you? What is your level of standard that you're willing to accept? Obviously, if you're competing in competitive sports that are also drug tested, that third level is going to be very, very important. 
Then on the other hand, if you're just a regular Joe who wants to make sure that they're not consuming BBA and heavy metals in their diet, then perhaps that second level is the one that you can go with. The choice is essentially left up to you and what's efficient for your needs. Right, so then diving into the second question, the second question is whether or not you should modify your training when you're in a caloric deficit. And here, it's going to depend on how big your deficit is. If you're in a massive caloric deficit, you're going to almost be guaranteed to experience muscle wasting or muscle loss. Obviously, there are those of you out there that are in caloric deficits that are also using gear or steroids, and that's going to be less of a concern for you, of course, because you artificially are creating an environment that's going to be conducive to to being anabolic and growing muscle. But for the natural people out there, the leaner you get, the more muscle you're going to lose, generally speaking. And I've gone through this experience myself. As I mentioned, I've competed twice as an amateur physique competitor. And in those two competitions, I wasn't natural. So I didn't experience as much muscle loss as a, as a natural athlete would have. But then years later, I did another another massive cut just to see what I would look like and what the difference would be between that natural look and the unnatural look. I wanted to see how far I could push myself. And I actually got quite well below 10%. And so I'll speak from my experience here when I went through that cutting phase. And hopefully that can inform you when you make, make your decisions. And this is the part of the, the podcast, like I mentioned at the start, this is not going to be based in science or anything like that or any resources from online, but rather the process that I went through. And um, hopefully, as I said, you can take something away from that. So in the beginning, I tried to not change my training at all. So I tried to keep my intensity and my volume just the same as it was before going further and further into, into a caloric deficit. And what I realized is I had to decide between volume or intensity. I couldn't uh, match my normal volume and intensity when I was at a, at a higher body fat percentage. And essentially what I landed on was that as I got leaner, I preferred to do fewer reps but try and keep the weight as high as possible. So the way that I talk about it is intensity was high but volume in terms of reps was lower and this was because I was finding I tried higher reps with lower weight and I just found that very physically and mentally draining for myself Um, I think it also has to do with my my body composition I when I was younger less so now I was more of an explosive athlete so I have a lot of fast twitch muscle fiber so Longer sets have always been something that I've struggled with. I prefer the more explosive, high-intensity, low-rep workouts. So there's also that personal consideration to take into account. And um, some of the other things that you may want to consider is if you're struggling to maintain volume, even once you've decreased your, your sets in terms of rep number, 
and you're still going high with weight, but you're still struggling, one thing that I then adapted to when I was working out is I tried to make my workouts as efficient as possible. So when I got under 10% body fat, I was finding even even doing too many exercises of the same muscle group was causing me was causing me a little bit of issues. I just found like I hit I hit a wall eventually and I I'm almost certain that that's to do with low levels of glycogen in my body. And so what I did then was I programmed and made sure that all of my training was as efficient and effective as possible. Um, a few months ago, I did release an episode about exercise selection and how to choose the exercises to fit into your program, and maybe I'll link to that in the show notes here. It's a it's quite a long episode, but it's packed with with good information on how to choose your exercises. And so, I use one of my principles, and I gravitated towards compound lifts when I was feeling very low in energy and dying in the gym. So, for example, instead of doing leg extensions, I did predominantly squats for legs and leg press. And so exercise selection here can be a great way for you to overcome the lack of energy that you may experience when going to gym. And before I wrap up on this this question, I do want to say that because this is based on my opinion and my experiences, I'm very much open to people challenging what I've said here about this topic. And if there's any science that applies directly to my situation, that would be great. Um, I'm, I'll have a look myself as well. I've been a bit, been a bit behind when it comes to digging into my normal research because of having the, the baby on the block now. But from what I can tell, it's still very much an open debate. Even within the fitness community, a lot of people have different opinions about the best way to go about training when you are in a deficit. And so, yeah, essentially, the takeaway is there. In an ideal world, don't change anything. If this doesn't work for you, try playing with your intensity or your volume. In my case, I decreased the number of uh, reps in a set but kept the weight as high as possible. If that still is troubling you, switch to exercises or use exercises predominantly that are as effective as at possible at producing a muscle stimulus. Right, and the final topic today, and one a little bit more playful, I guess, and not as as serious, somebody asked me whether or not all chicken pieces, in terms of what cuts of chicken, were created equal when it comes to dieting. And this one is definitely going to be uh, laced with my personal bias and preferences, but I think it still has some valuable insights in it. So I have done many diets and many cuts, and the one thing that I've learned is that for me, the chicken thigh is my favorite piece of meat, and I'll explain why. Um, But essentially, the three principles that I think about when I'm eating certain food types, taste is huge. Number one is taste. If your food is not tasting good, it's going to be really hard to stick to a diet. Number two, it's the effort that it takes to make the food that you're preparing. When I first prepped for my bodybuilding shows, I didn't really think and plan about meals, and then I found it such a schlep to make food, um, and then some days I wouldn't hit my calories as a result. 
And then the final one are your diet restrictions or your dietary restrictions. The more restrictive your diet is, the harder it's going to be to eat certain cuts of meat, even when it comes to chicken. So with that in mind, what I learned with with food and especially chicken is your preparation of the food is everything. You have to make that food as tasty as possible. When I competed my first show, I was just hell-bent on hitting my, my macros and essentially I was making this dry, tasteless food and it was okay for the first week or two but then it caught up with me and I had to pivot and learn how to make food that's both healthy and delicious and so I learned how to be a better cook through spices and sauces that aren't too high in calories and things like that. So that's a very important thing to keep in mind. So as I mentioned, the thigh is my favorite piece of meat when it comes to chicken. And the reason is because the thigh is quite versatile. You can have it with the bone in and the skin on if you're looking for a tasty piece of meat. You can have it boneless and skinless, which makes it much leaner. It's not as lean as chicken breasts, but I still think it tastes much better than the chicken breast does. And the great thing is that boneless, skinless chicken thighs also seem to keep better. So when you refrigerate them, they still have a little bit of juiciness to them. Whereas I find with breasts, when I cook them, if I refrigerate them, they go bone dry. And it's really, really difficult to get excited about eating a refrigerated chicken breast. Um, I guess another thing that I would say is drumsticks and wings are also amazing Uh, But you're eating a lot of skin, so you're getting a lot of fat content, especially saucy wings. If you can get some good buffalo wings with a good sauce on them, they can be incredible, great guilty pleasure. But when it comes to restrictive dieting, it's a little bit tricky to get away with eating those too many times. So that's also something that I thought I should mention. And my final thought on chicken is something that I've definitely found to be an awesome hack now that I'm not competing and I'm not overly strict with my diet, is whole chickens cooked in a slow, with a slow process. So in South Africa, we often use a Weber braai. It's a kind of round barbecue that you can basically put the lid on and it slow cooks things. And it's great to put a chicken in there. Um, Now at present, I use a large air fryer to do my roast chickens and these are so incredible. Um, I think part of it has to do with the fact that the chicken is encased in its skin and when the skin begins to cook the natural flavors like almost seep into the meat underneath and it's incredibly juicy and you can remove the skin after cooking if you don't want to eat the breast skin you can pull it off and same for other cuts of meat as well which makes it a healthy option and a very tasty flavorful option for those of you looking for for whole chicken uh, hacks i guess and yeah so just to wrap up on the episode and make sure that i emphasize the three points Your food has got to be tasty. It's got to be almost effortless to make. So, for example, popping a whole chicken into the air fryer is much easier than building a wood fire 
and waiting for the coals to settle and then putting it on. So there are ways to make it more seamless to cook these things. And the final one that I touched on was dietary restrictions. Obviously, if you're in a strict caloric uh, deficit and you need to stick to your diet more religiously, you're going to want to go for the leaner cuts of meat, such as chicken breasts. If you've got a little bit more room to wiggle with, you can enjoy the guilty pleasures of wings and drumsticks. If you want something sort of in between, I would go for the boneless, skinless thighs. Um, Yeah, and that's where I'm going to leave it for today. Thank you very much for tuning in, and I hope you have a great week or a weekend ahead, and uh, tune in again soon. I'm going to be releasing another episode probably tomorrow, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed some of the information today, and hopefully you can walk away from the episode with something practical. And until we we meet again, stay safe, and uh, continue to strive to be the dad that your kids look up to. Until next time. Cheers.